Hey guys, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 46. Today I'm speaking with Travis Bernard, Senior Director of Subscriptions and Audience Insights at TechCrunch. We discuss what audience development looks like at TechCrunch, what analytics TechCrunch utilizes, as well as who gets access to them, and the recent launch of ExtraCrunch, including a sneak peek of what's to come. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Travis Bernard, the Senior Director of Subscriptions and Audience Insights at TechCrunch. Uh, that's kind of a mouthful. And that's a, it's a new title for you, Travis, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was um, <laughs> I was just recently promoted. So uh, yeah, it's great. Awesome. So 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 you've been at TechCrunch uh, for coming up, I think, on five years now, right? I mean, that, that's 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 quite a while. Yeah, yeah. So I've uh, I, I'll hit my five year mark in in May, and uh, for for the last four years or so, um, I'd been leading audience growth at TechCrunch, and then. Just this past year, um, I got put in charge of this new subscription product we're working on. So, so I'm in charge of kind of the business side of that. Um, so, nice. it'll be the second year uh, working on that on that product. Yeah, that that that's something I'm really actually excited to talk about. Uh, but we'll get to that a little a, a little bit later. Uh, so, 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 were you a fan of TechCrunch before before you before you started working there? How, how did how did you how did you end up there? Sure. So, um, I've been with. The kind of larger like AOL, Verizon, Yahoo, TechCrunch family for almost six years now. Um, I was originally doing audience development consulting across all of AOL's media brands in uh, Dulles, Virginia, and I I did that for about a year and a half. And then uh, after that, uh, I had uh, I actually had a call with TechCrunch, and I was doing an audit for them on audience development. And at the end of the whole thing. Uh, you know, the folks that I was talking with actually offered me a, a job and wanted me to transfer within the company. So I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. Um, and the funny part about that, it was actually 60 days before I got married. So uh, that was kind of exciting. <laughs> you know, my wife actually, she decided, you know, really quickly, she was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I, I was surprised she was ready to go. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it, it was a little wild of, of a time for a couple months there. But um, yeah, so I, I've been out in San Francisco now for, for about five years and uh, had, as I mentioned before, I've been doing audience development uh, mostly for TechCrunch, really trying to grow uh, grow its audience, get more people reading the site, getting more people watching our video, listening to our podcasts and that sort of thing. And then, then last year, um, we started working on the subscription product and, and my boss put me in charge of it. Uh-huh. So wait, I have to ask, so what, did you have to like change the wedding venue? Like, like <laughs> how did that work? So the, so let's see. So the the wedding was in September. Uh, we moved in August, and I got the job offer. I want to say around June timeframe. So mm-hmm. we what we did is we uh, we moved actually. Well, we we kind of moved before the wedding. Like we got all our stuff packaged up, and we're, we got married in Nashville. So we basically just sent all of our stuff. And then we went to Nashville, and then after the wedding, we came back to California, and all of our stuff was <laughs> there. So, um, so yeah, it was kind of the best way to do it, I think. You know, uh, we we had thought about moving uh, to Austin and a couple other kind of tech hub cities, but uh, San Francisco has been great, loving it here. Nice. So, yeah, that, that's 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 fun. I mean, I, I love little stories like that that kind of like, you know, just they just spice up everything. It makes it, it makes it a much more fun to hear like that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it was, what was what was really fun too was uh, TechCrunch in particular. Like I'd been a reader of TechCrunch for a long time. Uh, I used to work in the agent in on the agency world, and I actually had to read TechCrunch on a daily basis. It was one of the sites that I was supposed to monitor to look for client coverage. So that's actually how I started reading TechCrunch. And 
I, I got really into uh, one of our writers, Josh Constein, who covers uh, you know product, and he's been, he's most famous probably for his coverage of, of Facebook. Facebook, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it, it was really cool. Like that's how I ended up getting introduced to TechCrunch, and then you know a couple years later, you know I'm I'm working with these guys, you know, and so it was kind of you know I've said this to other folks before, but it, it kind of felt like I got hired by like the sports team that I've been rooting for. For you know? <laughs> right, it's like it's like getting signed by the Yankees. Or the yeah, Red Sox, exactly, I guess. Exactly. So <laughs> it's really fun, and I think that uh, you know that excitement. You know, I, I was a reader from the beginning, so um, that that's made this this whole uh, transition and, and working with the TechCrunch team uh, fantastic. Nice. So tell me, so I, I so tell me a little bit about like what uh, audience development at TechCrunch looked like when you got there, and what it looks like today. How do you define it? Sure. Sure. So. Um, I think I'd say I'm, I'm in a unique position uh, with audience development just in that I've done it for a number of brands prior to working at TechCrunch. And, and to be completely honest, audience development looks a little bit different at every media company. Um, but for me, what's really critical across all development, uh, audience development roles is that, you know, it's really about two things. And uh, the first one is, is figuring out ways to get more people to see and read your content um, or listen to your content or watch your content. And then the second part is really about figuring out ways to sustain that exposure. Uh, so you know you don't want you, you know people just clicking into your article once and then they never hear about your brand again. And that's where things like newsletters um, or, or in, in, in improvements with you know your social platforms and things like that can really be a great way to help hook people in. Podcasts too, uh, another great example of that. So you know it might sound simple at, at face value, but you know, audience development, it, it often involves the execution in addition to the ideation. So you might have a really great, great strategy, um, but you also need to be the one executing that strategy too. So, um, you know, just as an example, you might have a great idea about producing more video for a brand. Uh, but then as an audience development, uh, you know, uh, in an audience development role, you're asking the questions, well, who's going to do the production? You know, when is it going to go out? How is it going to be packaged? Um, that sort of thing. So you could develop the strategy, but you still need to put together, you know, the contracts to work with different distribution partners. Uh, you know, who the producers you're going to hire are, um, what the what the design of the page where the videos live are going to look like. Um, you know, that sort of thing. So my point is that, like, when you're in audience development roles, you wear a lot of different hats. Um, you have to be able to work, you know, with a lot of different teams. In my case, it's working a lot with our editorial team, our sales team, our marketing team. Um, you know, as, as well as uh, senior staff. But um, right. yeah, I'd say at TechCrunch, you know, audience development is, is really focused on, uh, you know, go, growing subscribers for our new subscription product. Um, we're trying to maintain our traffic levels and engagement levels as we shuffle resources around our subscription product. And then also because we have an events business, uh, audience development also helps sell uh, event, uh, sell tickets to our events. So, right. and then we actually, we also do, um, you know, I mentioned uh, previously we do uh, audience insights, so we're also surfacing analytics to the wider team to help them make decisions. Gotcha. So in terms of in terms of like uh, the way you you approach it, so you, you're working with you and uh, you uh, you have people you work with. How many people are you working with on this? Uh, so my team is uh, four people total, including myself. But I work with every single person at TechCrunch. You're like the glue that kind of holds everything together and figures out how to how to keep yeah, it there's, there's a couple people who who serve as the glue but yes i, I think that's a fair description <laughs> so so one of the i mean one of the things that I, that's really interesting to me in terms of audience development like you've like you've already mentioned is that there are really a lot of moving parts to it right mm -hmm. um and 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 i think one of the tough things that many people face uh with audience development is figuring out what to focus your time and resources on Sure. Uh, because oftentimes what ends up happening is you chase the shiny object, right? In that's in front of you. Um, how, how first of all, how could how how do you kind of keep yourself from doing that? And do you have like a like a like a like a check that you put in, or 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 you know what what is your process like to kind of make sure you stay on on track? So I think that's a great question, and it's definitely something that people who are early in their audience development careers struggle with because there's so many different things that you can work on, and it's it's often hard to decide, uh, you know, where where you should put your attention, and uh, especially with with a lot of uh, you know a lot of the initiatives like social platforms have been doing over the last few years, whether it's Facebook Live, Messenger bots, you know, story formats, 
there are a lot of shiny objects, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, a lot of things that can distract you. But but for me, it really boils down to two things. So the first one is, will it bring in revenue? And then the second one is, is it a, is it a distraction from your core mission or um, or does it actually support your mission? So I think if, if it, if if there is an opportunity for it to bring in revenue and it also is in line with what your core mission is, that's usually a good indicator that it's something that you should be working on. Um, you know, it's it's a lot easier said than done, and and sometimes you you think something's in line with your core mission, and then um, you know you think it's going to produce a lot of revenue, but but it might not. So I think the important thing is to know when to cut it off if if it's becoming too much of a distraction, and uh, you know when to cut it off if it's not producing results. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, as far as an example, I think Facebook Live is probably one of the best examples. <laughs> so um, uh, several years ago, so TechCrunch Disrupt New York uh, was the first major conference ever streamed to Facebook Live outside of Facebook's own F8 conference. And uh, we put a lot of time and effort to make this happen. And, you know, we got a lot of great brand awareness out of it. But at the end of the day, it really wasn't a great moneymaker for us. Um, you know, we were chasing video views and chasing that exposure, but, you know, the dollars never followed. And... Um, it wasn't fully in line with what our core mission was either. And, you know, since then, we've, we've cut back heavily on Facebook Live just because it requires a lot of resources. Um, we only do it a couple times a year now, but, um, you know, it really just didn't end up being worth the time and the resources. And um, it didn't really fit, end up fitting with our core mission. So what, what about something? What about an initiative that, uh, that, that, that did work really well? Give us an example of one of those and, and why it works so well. An example of an uh, initiative that has worked really well. So, um, so the, com so the company we're using to power our paywall is a company called Piano. And uh -huh. uh, they also provide uh, another piece of technology that it's called Piano Composer. And what this allows you to do is actually serve uh, messages to your users based on activity that they've had on the site. So for example, if you visited a page about robotics, for example, then we could serve you a, um, you know, kind of an inline ad that says, Hey, maybe you should come to our robotics event. Um, so, so that's what that technology can do. Um, as far as the example goes, one of the things that it can do is actually detect whether or not people have their ad blockers on. And I know, uh, you know, ad blocking has kind of been a hot topic for the last few years, especially with media companies. And uh, we we had done a lot of analysis on our on our audience, and we we found that about 15% of our user base was using ad blockers. And uh, we ended up doing some some testing around this and. Um, we ended up getting uh, figuring out some ways to get uh, get users to turn off their their ad blockers for us, and um, you know we did a lot of testing around how the messaging uh, was, and you know what the colors and the designs of everything uh, looked like. But but it really was about the message and how we conveyed that to users, and that message was really about like, hey, look, like you love the journalism you're reading here, uh, you know, please please don't rip us off, please, you know, we're we're trying to you know we're trying to run a business here, and just had a really honest message with the users. And, and that seemed to have a pretty good impact. And you know, typically um, people only see, uh, media companies only see, see about uh, like a 1% conversion rate um, on anti-ad blocking, um, unless you do like a hard lock, meaning like you can't pass. Um, we ended up putting up a soft lock, so you can still X out of it, it's just a little annoying. Um, but we, we were getting about four to 6% conversion rates, so um, that, yeah. that was really positive. But, but as far as how that was, why that was like a good initiative, because you know, would it produce revenue? Yes, because now all of a sudden we have more ad inventory. Um, does it line up with our core uh, our core mission? Um, yes, maybe to an extent, but I think we had to we had to convey that to our readers and why this was important. And it was like, hey, we have a business to run, and we don't want to we don't want to shut the lights off. If you like this, just do us a favor and just click that little button in, at the at the top of your browser and help us out. Mm -hmm. um, so that was that was great, and, and we still have that uh, running on our site now. Um, so, so definitely a success for us. How, speaking of those little messages that pop up on sites, how, how do you feel, and, and from an audience development perspective, any insights you have in terms of how those messages impact readers, readers on the site and whether, you know, that makes them want to click away or, you know, cause a lot of, like, especially now you go to pretty much any website. I don't think TechCrunch does this. Unless I unless I clicked no and I forgot that you had it at some point, but it, a lot of websites ask you now to for no, to in Chrome for notifications, right? And yeah. um, so, you know, is that is that I mean, in in your in your opinion, is that like a turnoff? Because um, kind of it is for me. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I know what you're talking about. Like, it'll things like, hey, do you can we access your location because it's probably powering some widget, or can we send you uh, alerts? Push, yeah. And so, so for me, it's, it's they can be effective if effective if they're done the right way. I think the mistake that too many media companies make is that you blast it to everybody, and mm. you know, it's kind of like marketing 101. You know, it's got to be you know the right message, the right place, you know, the right time, and to the right people. You know, so. I think, and this is one of the reasons why I really like piano because we can do such granular targeting with it, you know? So like, you know, if we're trying to, for example, if we're trying to promote an event, you know, if it's an event located in the Bay area, we might not, we might not want to serve that kind of message to somebody that's in Europe or, or serve it to them at all. So I, I think it's really about crafting that message in the right way and making sure you're hitting the exact right people, not blasting it to everybody. And then also just make sure you're doing it at the right time and at the right place on the site. So it can be yeah. done. It's got to be done right. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I think that's good that advice. Yeah, everyone sees that bad example. You know, you land on a site, you get hit with a million things. Hey, this is the first time you visited our site. Sign up for our newsletter. It's like, whoa, you know, like, I, I don't even know what your site is about <laughs> yet. Like, you know, that's tar targeting the wrong people. You know, you should be targeting the people that are reading your site pretty regularly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There was uh, I implemented uh, something on Best Techie actually for. Uh, so you could sign up for it to be notified but instead of like many sites have it like when as soon as you land on the page on the top it says sign up for our notifications and we i just have a little thing on the side that you know that you if you hope if you it kind of lights up and then if you click on it you can see some more details about it um but it's not as in your face obviously the conversion rate probably isn't as high but ultimately i, I don't want to piss off people who are who are coming to the site you know for yeah. the very first time yeah, because I mean, we, we say this a lot at TechCrunch, but it, it's, um, you know, it, it's a lot harder to win fans back after you've pissed them off. Um, yeah. It's a lot easier just to make them feel comfortable and, and safe and warm in the place where they already are versus, uh, you know, versus losing trust and then trying to rebuild that. So, you know, I, I think that's a smart move. Definitely. So I want to talk a little bit about events uh, because I know events have become a big part of TechCrunch ever since Disrupt was started many moons ago, it feels like. Um, <laughs> to, sure, sure. My, my question uh, that I want to throw to you is, if for as an audience development person, do you think that media companies today need to have events that they're charging for in order to be like, to, in order to have see the success that, let's say, a TechCrunch sees? Sure, sure. Um, I, I'd say there's a lot of a lot of companies that are trying to figure this out right now. And, and I'd say it, it makes sense for some, but not for others. You know, it's going to be different for every media business. But, you know, I, I'd say events is not a requirement to have a successful media business. I'd say it's complimentary and it's a great way to support the rest of your business and connect with your fans. But but I think there are ways you can create a sense of community without having in-person events. Um, mm -hmm. And just just as an example, um, so I, I'm a big fan of the uh, the website, The Athletic, uh, the sports subscription uh, uh, yep. news site, and they do these uh, live Q and A's with its fans on the website. And I thought that that was one of the coolest uh, coolest ways to engage your community without actually having them go to an event. So um, you know, right now, obviously, NFL has been kind of a hot topic with the draft coming up. You know, so they'd have like their their beat writer. Uh, ask questions, you know, what, what do the fans want to know about, you know, the Baltimore Ravens draft, for example. And I, I thought that was really cool. So I think there's creative ways that you can kind of build a sense of community and uh, and have add-ons like that, that you don't necessarily have to have a physical event in order to, to, to build that same sense. Um, so, you know, all that said, we have a lot, we've had a lot of success at TechCrunch with our events business, and it's definitely something that we're going to continue to invest in moving forward. So... Well, I like I like the idea of that you don't necessarily have to have in person physical events. I think that's something that uh, probably hasn't been uh, as explored as this. You know, these actual event businesses that have been built on, on with media companies like uh, like Recode obviously has their big event. Uh, the, you know, the Atlantic has events. You know, Bloomberg has events. You know, um, but but the but the kind of online building of community and getting people involved, you know, in an online environment too, especially if you're doing if you're doing a you know a smaller scale perhaps, uh, could be more affordable and also uh, just as effective uh, as as an in-person event. Um, that being said, how do you get people to come to these events, these conferences like TechCrunch puts on? I mean, obviously you have right you have the on-site audience, 
you have it, your apps that people are you know are reading the site in but but there's got to be more to it right it's not just like you're you're not just saying all right anyone who comes to the site you know here you know you're gonna you're gonna find that out about our, about our event even though you have the banners um, but getting the information to the right people like you said marketing at the right time um, how do you how do you go about doing that for for TechCrunch events? Sure, I mean, at a very simple sense, it's it's marketing, right? <laughs> you know, for for us, you know, marketing is really uh, about helping people solve problems. I think that's something that's really important about marketing that that a lot uh, fail to realize. You know, how can you if if you can help somebody solve a problem, they're gonna want to come to your event or or buy your product or whatever it is. And and I think the reason why people are coming to our conferences is because we're helping them solve problems. Um, as they are building new companies, um, as they are growing uh, in their career and trying to learn about new industries. Um, but but how we do marketing, it depends a lot on the event, but usually we try to activate our organic channels first and then focus on paid secondarily. So um, as, you, as you'd mentioned, you know, we have, we already have millions of readers coming to our site every month. So making them aware of the events through like things like uh, announcement articles, banners on the sites, um, email alerts, those, those sorts of things are key, and that's typically where we, we see the best conversion, the best success. Um, but, but we're also using things like, I mentioned Piano before, um, to help serve up things like discount offers on the site. Um, that's been a great tool, definitely recommend it there. Um, but, but on the paid side, uh, we tend to focus a lot on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as search engine, uh, you know, uh, SEM. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we already have these pretty large audiences on social networks, so it's a great way to you know, kind of tap into the targeting there using things like, you know, audience lookalikes, um, that sort of thing. So, and, and the other part is that, you know, we are, we're already a news site, so we do produce a lot of content already. So, um, you know, there, there's, you know, there's a great way to kind of filter in different types of content uh, for the events, you know, be it articles, videos, or kind of display creative, kind of circulate some of that into our existing editorial coverage, um, more like a marketing announcement or a marketing post. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't, I, I don't lead our events marketing team, and so there's a lot more they do that, that I don't always have my hands on. Um, but, you know, we, for example, like we often have meetups in the cities where we do uh, events a few months before we, ha we actually have the event, kind of to help warm up the environment, the ecosystem a little bit. And, you know, that's been a really, uh, really great tactic for us. Nice. Uh, yeah, that, so that sounds like something that, uh, sh that should be and would be very effective uh, because obviously in the city that you're going to be hosting the conference, you obviously you're getting people kind of like the, the, the pre-party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and what's really cool is with this new subscription product that we launched, one of the one of the benefits to subscribers are these uh, conference calls. So you can imagine how we could use the conference calls kind of as a tie-in or a uh, like a precursor to one of our events. So, like for example, we have a robotics event coming up uh, in in the next month or so. So we could do, you know, like a we could do a, a conference call with one of the speakers that's going to be at the event or our writer that is like the the expert on. Uh, robotics, you know, to help drum up uh, some interest and see if see if subscribers are also interested in attending. So I think there's some creative ways you can go about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it comes back to that element of community and, uh, you know, really, really helping to drum up interest from your from from your core core readers and, and people who kind of live and breathe uh, what you're doing. So I want I want to shift gears um, and I want to talk about analytics a little bit. But before we talk about analytics, uh, and as a lead-in, I would I would love to kind of get like what are what are the types of content that TechCrunch is focused on right now? Um, you know, is it are you focused mostly on the, on the the news articles or is it video or is it is it you know is it podcasts? I mean, because you're you guys are creating a lot of content, but like what are what are, what you know how do you decide when to launch a new podcast or make a new video series or whatever sure, the case sure. is. So the biggest emphasis is still on articles. I mean, that's our bread and butter. It's what we, you know, the site started as. It's what most people are coming to uh, when they when when they are we're talking about TechCrunch or thinking about TechCrunch. Um, on the on the video side, um, we, we're definitely still doing video, and and like many other media companies, there's there's kind of been you know ups and downs with with uh, you know how to approach video, and we we are still producing a, a lot of video for uh, for our site, but. I would say we've shifted our video to focus a little bit more on on events um, than mm -hmm. it is going out and doing you know a lot of original video. We still we're still doing that. We're just not doing it at the scale we were uh, a couple of years ago. 
Um, on the audio side, we're still uh, we're still very focused on that. Um, I, I don't want to re reveal too much, but um, we are thinking very hard about audio in conjunction with our subscription product. Um, we don't have anything like ready to go right right now, but um, it's likely something you're going to see in the coming year. Um, so yeah, we're thinking hard about that. But as far as like how we're kind of like deciding, I mean, again, at the end of the day, articles are the reason people are coming to the site, and and part of the reason we like audio a lot too is because it's a really natural extension of of article content, right? There's there's much more natural transition into audio content from text than there is into video content per se. Um, so I, yeah, I, I I'd say you you you'd be more likely to see more podcasts from TechCrunch in the next year or two than you will a bunch of new video series. Nice, get a little bit of a little bit of of a sneak peek there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. So let, let's talk analytics because uh, obviously you mentioned that's also another kind of role part of your role. Uh, what, you know, what analytics matter most at TechCrunch? What do you got, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you measure? What, what do you pay most attention to? Yeah. So, um, as far as like metrics that matter most, uh, revenue obviously matters a lot to us. <laughs> uh, we also care about our audience metrics too. Um, we, we pay a lot of attention to traditional metrics like monthly active users, daily active users, page views, you know, how many articles we've produced, that sort of thing. But we also pay a lot of attention to, uh, engagement metrics, like, um, looking at page views per visitor, average engage time. Um, and then we're, we've been paying a lot more attention to uh, what we've kind of defined as our core audience. Um, and that, that was part of the, you know, part of the reason or part of the kind of uh, understanding uh, we got when we first uh, were thinking about doing the subscription product was, was really starting to look at um, user segments. So um, the last few years we've been bucketing our users into smaller subsets to better understand them. So just as an example, like, there's a small subset of users that are probably about one to two percent of our site, uh, well, one to two percent of our monthly actives um, that visits the site a lot. Like these are people that read TechCrunch pretty much every single day, and they're responsible for like almost twenty percent of all the page views on the site. So like that's the kind, of, kind of insight that you 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 wouldn't get from looking at traditional, uh, you know, from from traditional like monthly actives, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, because if, if you you would see those users as just, oh, they're just a couple, you, you know, just a small handful of users, but look at how much they're producing <laughs> or how much they're generating uh, as far as like ads getting served and how much content they're uh, consuming. So that audience is really like who we're targeting a lot with our new subscription product. Um, you know, so I guess my point is there, there are different things you can see when you analyze your audience in different ways. Mm -hmm. so, but but so, so do, do, uh, do writers get access to any of those analytics and uh, and if so, you know, how, do, do you do analytics play any role in terms of editorial decisions or anything like that? Or is it mostly product based decisions that you base that stuff off? Yeah, so uh, most of our analytics are powered by Parsley, um, which is a popular analytics tool used by a number of other publishers. And we are transparent with our metrics to our writers. I, I think that's really important. It's something that I've emphasized since I first started here. Like metrics shouldn't be siloed. People should have access to them. So um, all of our writers have ask, a, access to the Parsley dashboards and they can look at whatever they want. Um, there are definitely more metrics avail available that can come from like a variety of different sources. So, you know, if it, they're probably a little less accessible, but if people ask about them, they can get to them. It's just often, they, people don't want to see them because it's like you need to run SQL queries, or, you know, or something like that. <laughs> right. Most editors are like, no, nah, no, thanks. I'm good. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're transparent. Um, we like to keep things simple and, and we, we definitely use analytics to help um, make decisions. We don't, it's not the end all be all because I, I think, you know, it's important to use analytics to supplement your decision making, but like, I think there's still a human element, like a good article is a good article at the end of the day, you know, and, and even if the metrics don't, might not necessarily show it, um, it might take a few iterations of, you know, maybe producing something similar before you see positive results. Mm -hmm. We're, I, I agree. I, I think that, I think that's, I think that's really, really wise advice that people, it's very sage advice that people should, uh, should, should listen to about, uh, you know, Articles because I feel like oftentimes a lot of a lot of media publications over the years have moved towards, you know, what's going to move the needle in terms of ad revenue, um, mm -hmm. 
and and only focusing on that when they kind of do and they do and they end up forgetting that human element of well this is actually a really important story it may not generate as many page user time uh, as much as engage time but it needs to get out there and it's super important yeah, yeah. I think you know. I, I think if you if you're trying to play like the traditional page views game, like yeah. I think it's a, I, I'd say it's a race to the bottom. You know, because what's going to happen is if you want to keep going broader and getting in more people, you're going to have to go more general on your coverage, right? And if you go more general on your coverage, that means all the people who are already liking your site, they're gonna. It's going to be weird for them. It's like, hey, you guys are really good at startup coverage. Why are you covering you know this? You know and. I think there's certain topics that we can go a little more general on and, and you know, it makes sense, but you can't keep doing that because it's a race to the bottom. You, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna eventually just become a general news site, you know? And, and yeah. that's, we don't, and, and, you're, and then we'd be alienating that core audience and that's not what we wanna do, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, so are there any points where, in time where you're, on, where you're browsing TechCrunch, you're like, eh, this story might, be, might not really be right for us? Um, well, I mean, yes, absolutely, because we do, I mean, we, we test different things too, right? You yeah. know, like, we, you know, just as an example, you, you might have seen a little bit more coverage of game, like gaming, for example, on TechCrunch recently. That wasn't something we really traditionally covered a lot, but uh, we've been experimenting with it a little bit, you know, and, um, you know, it's, it's always it's, good to experiment. I, I, I'm all, yeah, I'm a proponent absolutely. of that. Yeah, absolutely. And then you start getting like, because we generally are covering startups and tech news, but there's, there's, everything is touched by tech now you yeah. know like yeah so i literally it, just said the other day to someone isn't everything a tech startup because <laughs> yeah, yeah it pretty much like, is yeah i mean it is like all like banks are pretty much tech companies now you know it's mm -hmm. so and i think that creates a a you know a unique challenge for us because you know because everything is tech now we need to make sure we keep keep focus on you know where the money's going you know where yeah. people are investing um, and, and, and what's popular. And then the other thing that's crazy about it too is just you have, you know, they're just like any other, uh, you know, uh, you know, any, any other field, there are like fads and things that kind of come and go. Um, and, you know, we, we need to be able to cover that stuff accurately, but we also don't want to like, you know, hire a zillion new writers to cover some new topic if it's going to be gone in a year, you know, and, and I, I'll just like use... hoverboards or something. Yeah. Oh my God. I was actually just talking to somebody about hoverboards the other day. I was like, whatever happened to them? They just kind of like disappeared and kind of became scooters or something. Who knows? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but like, uh, like cryptocurrency is a great example of it, right? It's, we've been covering cryptocurrency for years. And then last year, it's just like, I guess not last year, the year before that. So 2017, everything just exploded there. And it was like, all of a sudden there was like not enough crypto coverage to feed all the people, you know, <laughs> and, you know we could have easily like staffed up and tried to, you know, get tons of writers in that area. But like the reality is like, you know, it's, it's settled down a lot. You know, there's still people in working for crypto and uh, blockchain startups and it's still an area that we cover, but you know, we didn't just like throw everything into that and, and change, you know, we didn't want to change what we were already, we we're already doing really well uh, just to hop on some new fad. Mm -hmm. Smart. Yeah, that makes sense. I, 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 I totally, you know, I, it's all I'm all for dipping your toe in, kind of seeing, and also just making sure your 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 coverage is relevant to what your audience is interested in is the name of the game, right? Um, but you don't have to kind of oversaturate your coverage, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, and this fat. Is, yeah, and this just ties back to what you were asking on the analytics side. You know, it's it, look at the end of the day, analytics aren't everything, but you don't want to be ignorant of them either, right? You need to make your decisions through a combination of data and human intervention. Um, that's mm -hmm. that's how you're gonna make the best decisions. Nice, I, I like that. Let's let's end that that part on this. Um, <laughs> let's let, let's shift. Let's talk about uh, Extra Crunch, which I know you're really excited about, because this is obviously the new subscription you guys just started. Um, and I guess the first question I have is what 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 made what finally clicked at TechCrunch to to that made you want uh, to start a subscription business. Because obviously it's been sure. it's been talked about a lot, you know, for media companies. Yeah, so I, I'd say it started with research. You know, we we'd been closely studying our audience for a while now, um, and looking at it, looking at our audience through different lenses. Um, you know, whether it was looking at visitor frequency data, which I mentioned before. You know, talking to readers at our events or uh, polling users that are already on the website. Um, you know, we started this project really first by listening to what our readers said they wanted. 
And then from there, it was just a matter of iterating on the ideas until we got to a place that made sense to our readers, but also helped support the business as well, too. You know, there, there could be things that readers want, but they might not make sense from a business perspective. So just kind of, uh, you know, uh, forming something that had a good balance of what users wanted, but also made sense, um, but could, did seem like it could be a supported or a, a sustainable business. So I, I'd say the key thing for us was that you know, we didn't want to take what you were already getting on the site for free and then just put it behind a paywall. And we've seen a couple other media publications do this. I won't call out any names, but I, I personally <laughs> think that that's a good strategy. If you're used to getting something for free and now all of a sudden somebody's saying you're going to pay for it, it's not the best experience for the user. Um, you know, for us, it's really about offering up something more and something that we currently yeah, something extra, exactly. Something something that users weren't already getting on the site and something that was gonna resonate with these, you know, highly engaged fans, these diehard readers, something that they also wanted. Um, yeah, so that's I, I would say, yeah, that's that's how we how we decided we wanted to start. I mean, we talked with a lot of folks. Um, you know, I think I, I spent the first probably like three or four months when I got going on this project just calling around to different different folks who who'd worked on subscription products. You know what what types of things to look at what things to type of uh you know what you should avoid you know there's that whole conversation about well should you do metering or should you do you know more of a hard paywall like you know all those types of things uh we had to sort out um you know in kind of that research phase yeah wait wait so i have to ask so is, t is extra crunch one word or two uh it's two words and that was that was actually also another uh big decision we had to make because it was yeah you know, tech crunch is one word and uh, I originally had proposed it actually as being uh, one word because I was like, oh, that's how we do TechCrunch. Uh, but the, the, honestly, the reason we ended up putting the space between it is because if you write out TechCrunch Extra Crunch, like uh, <laughs> right <laughs> each other, it looks really weird. And everyone was like, yeah, that does I'm look just weird. picturing I, that in my head and I could see that, yeah. Yeah, everyone was like, oh, no, that looks better. And that that's really all it was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Sometimes Sometimes that's the best way to make decisions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, hey, this just doesn't look right. So yeah, exactly. So so when so when you were when you were uh, I guess either in the past year when you've been building Extra Crunch, um, have you did you staff up anything for the new subscription business or is it being done by uh, existing staff mostly? And the reason I guess I'm asking is because I'm I'm curious how how editorial is going to spend their time between Extra Crunch and Tech Crunch. Sure. So that was uh, also something that took a while to, <laughs> to figure out on our end. Um, we ultimately decided to have uh, a set of unique editors that work exclusively on the product. And the reason we did that was because we were just worried that, you know, if it wasn't if somebody wasn't 100 percent dedicated to it, it, it was going to become, you know, like the second fiddle. You know, it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't get the same kind of emphasis that we that we wanted it to. And, you know, we're really trying to put turn this product into another revenue pillar for us uh, from a business perspective. And, uh, you know, if, if somebody's not in charge of the project, you know, from an editorial side, like nobody's really navigating the boat, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I work more on the business side. And, you know, at the end of the day, I can do, you know, as much as I want to try to market the product. But if the if the content and the editorial, you know, the editorial buy in isn't there, it's not going to be a success, you know. Um, yeah, so so that was, that's really important for us. So we, we did staff up. Um, we hired uh, two uh, two editors. One editor actually used to be the head editor of TechCrunch uh, before I started. Um, Eric Eldon uh, and then yep. Danny Clayton. Uh, so we have those two individuals, and then we're also working with a number of uh, contractors, and then also supplementing our coverage with uh, uh, articles from existing staff. Uh, so you know we we typically are having our existing staff do more um, kind of like industry analysis. So like uh, Kate Clark, uh, she covers uh, venture capital and she just did a piece on fertility tech, for example. So like kind of the state of fertility tech. Um, so we've been we've been having our writers hop in and do that. But but again, uh, it's we're, we're still we're only 30 days in now. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to look at our data right now and really understand what's resonating the best and, and tweak our strategies from there. If you have if you if I asked you to describe extra crunch to someone listening and why they should subscribe to it what's what's the what's the pitch yeah so the the pitch is really about um helping you build a better company um you know most our, our core readers are entrepreneurs they're creators um you know they're uh they're engineers 
uh, they're investors, uh, they're people that are trying to build companies, whether they're part of the company, funding the company, or actually the one, you know, snapping the bricks together. Um, mm -hmm. And for us, we cover, TechCrunch is always, is, is always been known for its news coverage, but what, what we weren't getting at was what's going into actually building those companies. We write about the companies in their massive fundraise, but how did they actually get to that point? And what can we learn from those companies that can help you as somebody who is also uh, trying to build a company there? So, you know, that could come in a lot of different forms. You know, we, we're, we're showcasing a number of, uh, like we're calling them uni like uni unicorn companies, which are companies that are valued at a billion dollars or more. We're really diving into why they are, why they are having success. And then we're also taking the angle of more utility focused articles. So why you should work with a startup lawyer um, how you should how how you should hire a designer, that sort of thing. Um, so so yeah, does that does that help? No, that that's I think that's great. I think that explains it very uh, very nicely. And I think one of the things I got when I was reading, uh, you know, about Extra Crunch was I I got all of that, and I was like, you know, what they're essentially doing here at TechCrunch is they want to they they're building a platform for people like you're saying to learn the ins and outs of of either going out on their own and doing these things here and here's everything you kind of need here's like a like a like a, it's it's not a portfolio but it's kind of like it's like a book of everything you need to know in one place right uh essentially to get going and make sure you're making smart decisions because these are all little things that people don't think about when building companies like yeah you don't think about it until 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 it pops up but it, it's it, yeah it, it happens a lot yeah, and what, what's been great is the two editors we have um, have like one of the editors came from a VC background and and also startups, and then the other one had just done his own media startup as well. So they've been through this, <laughs> you know, they've yeah. they've been in the trenches before, and they know what you, they they know what's involved in this process. And what we realized with a lot of our research, and especially from talking with folks at our events, is you know there is a lot of information out out there about startups, but nobody's really capturing it all in one place. Uh, there's a lot of information about building uh, building companies out there, but most of it is being held by you know VCs um, yep. or accelerators, yep. you know, and you kind of have to get into those accelerators or or get an investment from that company to kind of get that information. So part of what we're trying to do with this product is democratize that. You know, we want that information to be available to more people. Um, and 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 as I mentioned before, it previously it was really about access. You know, if you had access to the right people who knew the stuff, that's how you would get this information. There weren't books books on this on the internet you know it was uh you know you had to figure it out yourself yeah um, so yeah I, i've been there <laughs> i've been there uh and which is why i was thinking it's great like if TechCrunch, if like if anyone in the startup sphere could put something like this together i feel like it would be the the, the folks at TechCrunch. you guys yeah and and, and that's, that's that was part of our pitch you know we're, we're already great at startup news coverage and we're just uniquely positioned to deliver on this, and I don't think there's another site that that is as well positioned as we are to do something like this. Um, so I, I think it's you know we're, we're trying to play to our strengths um, and play to what what our audience already knows us uh, for, and and it's kind of made us popular over the over the last decade or so. So in terms of in terms of subscriptions, though, are are you at all concerned about subscription fatigue at all? Is that like is, you know did you see that as a, po a possible kind of hurdle for you guys? There are a lot of media companies out there now with subscriptions. So I would say um, I'm concerned about subscription fatigue to an extent, but um, I think it's been greatly exaggerated. And the reason why I think that it's greatly exaggerated is because there are a lot of nuances with it, and uh, they're often not mentioned when people are talking about this. So there might be subscription fatigue for similar products, right? But but not all subscription products are the same. So, and, and not all subscription products compete with one another. You know, like mm -hmm. I'm not going to, like there, you might decide there might be a few news sources you wanna use for like political or sports news, for example, but you're not gonna trade off your Netflix subscription so that you can get the New York Times. They're completely different, you know, they're completely different things. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get rid of my AAA subscription so that you know, I can, uh, you know, I can subscribe to YouTube or something like that. So I think mm -hmm. there's w what's missing in a lot of this conversation is the um, whether or not the products actually compete with one another. And part of what we're trying to do with with Extra Crunch is there there is this community aspect to it. There are these there there is this more utility aspect of it too. And there I because 
because there aren't other tools like that out there, I think it makes it, it gives our product um, a much better competitive edge um, so that people aren't gonna like, hey, I gotta get rid of my extra crunch subscription, you know, this month because I wanna sign, you know, I wanna sign up for another subscription. Like, I don't think that's necessarily gonna be the case. Right, so uh, I can sign up for Spotify or, or something. Yeah, exactly, like you're not gonna, I'm not gonna like get rid of my iCloud subscription just so I can sign up for extra crunch, you know? It's like not gonna, you know, that that's not really the trade-off people are gonna be making. So, and, and the other part is that there are a lot of subscription products that people use for their job and it's hard to say that there's gonna be fatigue there, right? Yeah. Like, um, do, do, you, know, do you guys have a, a subscription model for the enterprise yet or not yet? Um, we are working on that right now. Um, that was something that we thought there would be some interest going into launch and like within the first few days after we launched, there were a lot of people writing in uh, wanting to do kind of more like corporate bundles, enterprise bundles. So yes, it's something we're working on. It's something we're thinking hard about, um, but we, we don't have anything like ready to go today um, on that front. Gotcha. It's just a little bit different of a product. Like when you go to check out, you can't select a hundred subscriptions, you know? <laughs> right. Um, we're we're just trying to figure out the operations of that you know how you take how you take in money, um, how you get the users onboarded. There there's a lot of uh, th there's Little some intricacies. Yeah. Yeah, there's some technical hurdles we're working out, but uh, I, I'd say we, we'll probably have something in that area in the next month or so. Nice. All right. So I have I have the last question here, before we get to the lightning round. It, sure. I, I think I think this may be the toughest question for you yet. What's the okay. best thing? What's the best thing about working at TechCrunch? The best thing working about uh, best thing about working at TechCrunch. Um, so I, I mentioned this before, but you know I was a regular reader of TechCrunch before working here, and yeah. you know it was really awesome to start working alongside some of the writers I'd been reading for years, like Josh, uh, Sarah Perez, Ingrid London. It, it was great, just you know getting a job and a chance to work with people that you you admired and, and really respected what they they'd been writing for so long, and um, so that so that was really cool. But I, I would say what I love most is that everyone is really deeply in, uh, vested in TechCrunch that works here. Like everyone cares about this website so much. And I've worked at other places before and like, you know, it, you don't really see that same kind of passion. And, and you what, what's cool is like, we, everybody works in different offices around the world. Like I don't see all the writers every single day. Um, and when we do see each other, it's at the events. And it's just like, it's just crazy. Like I, you know, you've been working with this person maybe over Slack and over phone calls for, you know, 11 months of the year and, and when you finally see them in person it's like you know it's like your long lost brother you haven't seen in a while you, know? <laughs> you feel like you know everything about them but you just haven't seen their face um so i i'd say that you know it's it's really just the passion here um and you know people who don't have that same passion they they don't tend to last very long here they you know it's it's not it's not right for them definitely passion is important i'm a huge fan of passion i love passion <laughs> yeah it's important uh, all right, so you made it through the lightning round, which of course is supported by Wix. You can create a professional website today at Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com. And Travis, whenever you're ready, you let me know and we'll get started. Yeah, let's do it. All right, here we go. If you could time travel, where would you go? If I could time travel, where would I go? Uh, it would be really cool to uh, see the dinosaurs, to be honest. <laughs> uh, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I might need a little like you know something to protect me from uh, from the wild, uh, you know, the wild environment. But I mean, you know, you don't want to end up like in Jurassic Park, pretty much. Yes, yes, exactly. So um, I yeah. think that'd be really cool to see. All right, uh, what is one food you could never bring yourself to eat? One food that I could never bring myself to eat. That's a really tough one because I will eat almost anything. <laughs> Uh, I'd say one of the only times that I've been kind of a little weirded out uh, by trying something new. Uh, shortly after I graduated from college, I, I did a trip to China and they have all the, the street vendors, uh, you know, kind of selling the street meat, that sort of thing. And, and yeah. I, saw star, I saw starfish and I, that I wouldn't try. That weirded me out a little bit. I, I don't know what it was about it. It just, it didn't seem like it would taste good. I, I, I don't know. I, that's, that's one that I, I don't think I could do. Did it look like a starfish when they were serving it or? How, it looked exactly like a starfish. Like a lot, like imagine a, a, you know, like a lot, a star shaped lollipop. The basically oh, that. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Uh, if you could shop at, uh, for free at one store, which one would you choose? Oh, that's a tough one too. I, it, 
Man, I I love uh, I love Bonobos. They're a clothing store that was acquired by Walmart a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 one of my favorites. If I'm going more like, you know, kind of the consumer electronics route, then I mean the Apple Store is an easy one, right? <laughs> like, like we we kind of joke about it here at at, uh, at TechCrunch that like Apple, it's like it's like a fifteen hundred dollar a year club, you know, between <laughs> pretty much phones is. and the computers and and everything. So that would be a nice a nice one to to hit up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I it's funny. The last person I asked that question, they also said the Apple Store. Um, <laughs> And then I'm just surprised. I've only asked this like a couple of times, and I'm surprised no one so far has said Amazon. <laughs> oh yeah, I you feel like Amazon is a good choice. Yeah, I guess because we're thinking more when when you say store, I guess we're thinking yeah. more physical yeah. store. That's um, true. Maybe I'll guess... have to rewrite rewrite the question a little bit. <laughs> Amazon is like getting is like the if you could only have three wishes, what would they be? It's like asking <laughs> any more wishes, you know? Exactly. For exactly. Wishes, yeah. <laughs> Uh, would you ever go skydiving? Yes, I've done it a number of times. I love it. Oh, oh that's oh, interesting. That's you've done it. You've done, how many times would you say you've done it? Uh, I've done it, I think, three or four times now. I did it for my 21st birthday, and then I've done it a couple times over the last few years. Um, I've done it from different heights. So I've done, like, the 12,000-foot jump, the 15,000-foot jump. The last time I did it um, was, was for, my, for my wife's birthday. Um, she was like, all right, fine. Was she I'm, there? I'm going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, I'll do it. And we did like the video and everything. And it's just funny because I've done it before and I'm just like, woo, yeah. And she's like, oh my God, I'm terrified. <laughs> juxtaposition was, was funny. That's great. Last one. What's the best movie you've seen lately? It doesn't have to be new or anything. It's just as long as you've seen it lately. Oh, um, I just saw that uh, documentary, uh, Free Solo. The one that it won. Um, it, the it one where they're climbing El Capitan? Yeah, or, it was it was awesome. So I saw it I saw it in the fall um, in theaters, and it just won uh, just won the Oscar for best documentary. And if you're into extreme sports in any way, shape, or form, like this is the coolest movie I've ever seen. Just the story is phenomenal. Like you are, I had goosebumps the entire movie because so he, the guy climbs El Capitan without a rope. He free climbs. It's the highest free climb ever done by by a person. And it's just I mean you're like the whole time he's gonna fall. He's gonna fall. He's gonna that's, fall. That's like, nuts. It's, it's, his poor girlfriend at the time. I mean, oh, I, you know, it's like <laughs> any any morning he could be gone. He could have fallen, and you know, wow. That so that that movie was amazing. Highly recommended. Free solo. Nice. All right. So if anyone if anyone's listening who who's listening wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, so I, I'm on Twitter at Travis Bernard. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Travis Bernard, um, or you can you can email me uh, at work just Travis at TechCrunch.com. Awesome. Well, Travis, it's been it's been great having you on. I really appreciate it, and uh, for you for stopping by and listen and uh, talking with us. And I, I think it's been a, a lot of great insights and things that we've learned, especially about the way TechCrunch operates. Such a large, influential publication. It's been great having you on. Absolutely, and thanks again for uh, inviting me to join. Uh, love the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating interview on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.